Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unscripted Equity Curiosity. Uh, my name is Ami Joseph. I'm the Sector Head for Technology here at Hedgeye. With me today is Felix Wang, who's the Sector Head for China um, at Hedgeye. Um, this is Season 2, Episode 18 of Unscripted, and uh, we are without Andrew today, who is traveling. Um, so we apologize for the lack of free bird today. However, we are dropping this um, today's Unscripted Equity Curiosity alongside a brand new cartoon from Bob Rich, which does feature Andrew, so I don't feel so bad. I think everybody's going to get their fill of the free bird this time around. Um, there's something that happened this week that I didn't expect to talk about, but I want to talk about. Um, and Felix and I were both at this event, and that's why I think it's relevant for both of us to kind of like discuss this. Um, specifically, this week was the, uh, and you guys will be getting this on a, a one week, uh, approximately one week delay, so I apologize for that. But this week was Hedgeye hosted an event in Los Angeles for our customers called uh, Hedgeye LA, or it was like Hedgeye Live, like our annual uh, user conference, but like a, a Western region user conference. And, um, and, I, and, and I went, and Howard Penny went, and Jim Skyver went, and Felix was there, and Andrew, and Keith, and Daryl, and, um, and Rob Simone, and I'm forgetting, I'm probably forgetting, and Josh Steiner, um, and Brian McGough, and several others. And um, uh, so there was, there's some, it had an impact on me, uh, this conference, and I want to share kind of like my key takeaways from the conference. Um, First up, I want to say just on like a personal impact level, I uh, definitely shout out to all those people I met, um, all the customers I met out in LA. Um, it's great, you know, in, in, in the institutional side of the business where I typically live, um, the goal is obviously to get the stocks right, but also really like to have unique insight. Um, because if it's just like me spitballing, you know, throwing a dart, whatever, and I get it right, like, okay, that's good. But like unique insight is really what actually um, uh, helps me and Yosef to understand the stock well and to actually understand, to flex it and to get it right long and short and to understand um, what it's worth and where it plays in the ecosystem, where's the fakery and where's the truth. Um, if it's a short, for example, the bakery or where these, there's exaggeration, even on longs that we like and things like that. So um, that's kind of like where we live. But to meet people who are managing either their own personal family wealth or their or their RIAs or things like that and trying to make a different level of kind of decisions, um, it was, I didn't know what to expect. And it was very refreshing. I was like thoroughly impressed with the people who were out there. Um, and um, and humbled, honestly, uh, that these are customers. Uh, so um, there was like a personal element. Um, so that was one thing I wanted to definitely mention, and and I'll let Felix uh, chime in in a second on that. But there's there's another thing that I wanted to mention, which kind of like shaped some of my what I want to share with you guys today, like key takeaways from the conference. Um, like our obviously we have a very rich content schedule at Headdrive. And if I listened to everybody's black books, I would never, I would never actually get any research done. Um, so this was actually an opportunity for me a whole day where I just sat there listening to, to, to presentations. I listened to Keith, I listened to uh, Andrew, I listened to Brian, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was really able to um, 
absorb some of the process that everybody had. I was able to absorb how they think about things, how they respond to hard challenges, um, how they're thinking about the economy, where they think the opportunities are here even now. Um, and that was kind of like some of my experience. And I want to share some of that, but before I go through kind of like some of my bullets that, that and, you know, Felix and I can discuss, um, I want to shoot it back over to Felix. Um, Felix, like, you know, tell me like broadly speaking, kind of like, you know, whatever your key takeaways were from the comments, what did you think about going in? What were you thinking about coming out? In what ways does this sort of like maybe even affect your process a little bit or affect your approach to, to our customers? Um, kind of like any, any kind of, you know, anything's valid, any, any topic here within this range is good. Yeah, sure. Uh, um, happy to be on Ami. Um, I, and I, I, if there are those who went to the event and uh, listened to this podcast, I think, uh, it was great. Nice meeting everybody that I had a chance to meet with. It was, um, a very eye-opening experience just because we had guests from all over the world, actually, not just the West Coast attend, um, Hedgeye Live or Hedgeye Regional, uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, thankfully we had probably the most fantastic weather out there, bright and sunny and no humidity. Um, but I, you know, it was very, very interesting to engage in a lot of conversations with our customers and, and learn how they're dedicated to the Hedgeye process and talk to each of the different sector heads that were there to present. Um, I agree with you, Ami, that, uh, you know, it, they, everybody was very informed in their own way, and they have very thoughtful questions to ask us, um, those that we probably wouldn't have gotten from just, you know, a Q&A session online. So there's kind of like a personal touch to that for, for us to see people face to face and to learn about them, to learn about what they're looking for uh, when it comes to investing. Uh, it's not easy. Uh, particularly in a quad four environment. And, uh, you know, ha and most importantly, to learn about their comments and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and questions about how, how our different coverage space evolved and what they're looking to, 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 for us to answer in terms of how to help them with their investing process. So, I thought it was very entertaining and, you know, we obviously look forward to seeing, um, our guests again. Uh, we have, I think we have a couple more, I mean, um, on the schedule, uh, one in Dallas and then another potentially in Miami. Uh, so we're very excited to, to meet more people, to meet more folks and to meet more Hedgeye fans and then Hedgeye customers. So we're, uh, we're, we're very happy about, about that. Um, I, I thought it was also interesting, and you mentioned this on me, that uh, for everyone to listen to everybody else, and I was in the same boat as you are, just because we have a really busy schedule at Hedgeye. Sometimes we don't get to listen to our colleagues pitch ideas, and um, that conference, we, we had an opportunity to hear everybody else, and I was blown away in terms of everybody's process and everybody's ideas on how to source ideas and you know also admitting where they, they were wrong and and you know how they can move forward with how they look at their space so i definitely learned learned a lot um in terms of how i can implement some new things 
and and how I research ideas. But uh, I want to turn it back to you because uh, I think um, you you yourself found it very entertaining uh, to to listen to some of our colleagues and uh, curious to hear about your takeaways. Well, yeah. So uh, maybe we can kick these, you know, back and forth. But um, so I want to talk like macro for a second before we talk maybe process and things like that. Um, there was there was one thing that was like I hadn't been thinking about um, that was interesting, and um, a client asked Keith, like, "What will make the something along the lines of what will make the Fed?" stop raising rates and focus on like loose like loosening um as opposed to tightening. Um because this the context is that uh Steiner had commented that it looks like um the Fed not only will it like continue raising rates, but at a certain point it will stop and then stay. Like it may also not shift from it won't go necessarily from QT to QE. From quantitative tightening to quantitative easing, it might just stand pat for a while um, until, like, the excess capital is absorbed and inflation is tamed. Because we have a long road to get from eight percent um, inflation down to something that the Fed believes is whatever they believe is more of a healthy range, which is quite a lot lower. Um, so I think that that's something that you know that was the context. And so a client asked Keith. Um, in the general session, like what would make the Fed, you know, stop or go QE, and Fed and and Keith answered that it would be if something happened like in the global financial crisis, where the financial plumbing of the United States became stuck. So if like markets were becoming, if if, if important markets were becoming illiquid, like if there was something happening in the Fed funds rate. That was unusual, or CDSs, or things like that, that were blowing out and were indicating that there was a lack of liquidity um, in the financial system. And Keith explained that it's be, it's not because that means the curse, the the, the um, scourge of inflation is over. It's just that inflation can be is one of those things that can be dealt with later if they have to, whereas uh, fixing the plumbing if it's not working has to be dealt with immediately. Um, so that was kind of like very interesting for me to think about that process that um, like because I think the client was saying, like, when do we get relief from the Fed? And I guess I walked away saying, like, wow, that's it's either bearish or it's like super bearish, because if liquidity, if, we, if we liquidity stands still in the United States, like that's obviously much worse um, than where we are right now with everything, like overall, like markets, valuation, everything, et cetera. If you thought everything was a short before today, um, that if we have the plumbing's not working, that's, that's more of a short. And then the problem is even if, even if they, un, even if they fix the problem with a wall of money, they're going to go right back to countering inflation afterwards because they have long-term inflation uh, targets and goals. So, that was kind of like an important one that um, that I was thinking about macro-wise. And I'll throw one more macro takeaway in, um, and then Felix, I'll ask you to just sort of like maybe like either um, respond to those or pick up on something else you learned from listening to everyone's uh, presentation and process and things like that. Um, so the other one was listening to Brian McGough. 
who said that, you know, kind of like, I, I think the context is that like data points for the consumer are, yes, things are getting worse, uh, harder for the consumer, people are borrowing more, people are dipping into like, you know, credit unworthiness is, is going up and things like that. Um, but generally speaking, the consumer is still spending uh, by and large. Uh, and, and of course, with the corollary that the, the companies in those relevant spaces are still raising prices on those consumers, and therefore we're still having inflation and things like that. Round robin, right? We're still continuing, which means that you know, the Fed still has to chase those um, that those inflation targets. Brian said, in the back half of this year, he thinks you know potentially, yeah, maybe it won't be seasonal, be you know less than seasonal, but generally speaking. He thinks the consumer is going to show up in the back half of this year because he's like, that's what consumers do. Even if they can't afford it, consumers spend. That's just what consumers do. And the personal savings rate is going to go down, he thinks, to 0%, just like it did in, I think it was either 2002 or 2003 after the last major tech bubble, et cetera, and all that dating model that happened back 20 years ago. Um, and and he said at that point, by January, and my view is my view is actually my personal view is actually after we presented on all of our e-commerce data on Monday. Um, so you know, I, I don't want to go through all that whole black book, but um, but I actually think the results will be less than seasonal, or maybe there'll be a sell-through issue, but it'll be towards the back half of this season. Um, but okay, but let's we're getting to similar to similar conclusions here. And Brian said that then by January. Or February, personal savings rate is really zero percent, and at that point, the consumer is really tapped out. And from there until April, like estimates in retail and wherever, and e-commerce and et cetera, completely are obliterated. And um, and from there, and by, and by April, maybe you can buy stocks in in retail and in other classes, and so on and so forth. So I thought that was like a really interesting way of characterizing the macro on both sides, uh, the Keith approach um, and the Brian approach. Brian obviously very uh, focused on retail, retail sell through retail estimates and expectations and consumer level spending and demand. Um, Keith obviously much more focused on the macro. So kind of both, but both comments kind of feed into um, like a macro purview and obviously some credit to Steiner and for, for kind of like Steiner had been setting it up setting up the commentary around all of that. Um, so I don't know, Felix, if you have thoughts around that, if you want to compare that to what's happening in China right now, which is obviously very different, um, and just kind of like hear your thoughts about what Keith said, what Brian said, or if there are other thoughts from the presentations that that stand out to you. Yeah, that's interesting because if Brian is saying the consumer is still spending, um, but I, you know, I, I think my question, um, would be, you know, what are they spending on? I, I have a feeling as as layoffs continue to happen, as sentiment continue to be quite depressed, upscale spending or upgrading your consumption pattern may not be the case. Um, I say this because I see parallels in what's going on in China. Obviously, the, the economic situation in China versus the economic situation in the U.S. is quite different. But one thing I've been noticing is maybe the consumer is getting weaker, right? But for different reasons. In China, uh, there's a lot of issues that the U.S. doesn't have to worry about uh, at the moment. But all said and done, you know, con con consumption spending isn't 
as robust as say maybe a few years ago. But if you look at the data from yesterday um, on the macro side, it didn't look bad. It really didn't. I mean, it, all the key indicators beat uh, expectations. And this is in an environment where you have a heat, heat wave, you have a drought, you have the property sector on a tightrope, you have um, COVID-19 disruptions, uh, you have earthquakes. I mean, I can go on and on. It's it just... Uh, Pretty re remarkable, at least what the government prints, and that could be another discussion um, on how how reliable those data is. But at least what the government printed, it looks not too bad. It really didn't. And and you have you know Q3 GDP coming up uh, in the, I believe in the middle of October, right in the middle of that National Congress event. So um, I thought it was in insightful what you pointed out, Ami, um, from from Brian and Keith presentation. I'm just curious to see if they can, you know, maybe get a little bit more in depth on like what they're spending, what the consumer is spending or what the consumer is not spending. Because what I can say in China, at least, is they're not spending on luxury items at the moment. Uh, very little. And that makes sense. I mean, people are losing jobs. Unemployment among the youth is is at a record high. One in five people in China don't have a job or the age under, I believe it's age under 21 or 23, um, somewhere around there. That's incredible. And that puts a lot of pressure on the government to instill policies to 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 get unemployment down, uh, particularly for the younger citizens. That's crazy. Can you see yeah. that stat one more time? 20%. So one in five right now do not have a job. Of the uh, people who are what, what the, age category? I, I think I need to check on that because I, I think it's college graduates. College graduates. Oh my so, God. So 21 and under, maybe a little bit older, maybe graduate students uh, involved there too, but that's what I've been hearing, right? And uh, it's never been that high. Uh, that's It's crazy. never been that high. And in some respects, you know, that's like, an, that's, like a, that's like an existential threat to the CCP, yeah. right? Like that's literally like where people have those who have predicted that the current regime of China will run into a wall, et cetera, et cetera, have all said it's because eventually they'll have too many unemployed single men, mostly because of the imbalance of men and women, et cetera, at the youth age, and um, and you know, kind of like angry. And and depressed, uh, you know, men at those ages, like you know, is 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 foment or conditioned for revolution, things like that. That um, that people have said. So I don't know. I mean, I, I mm. wow, that's a it's a very interesting statistic. I mean, not that I'm saying that that's like an imminent thing, um, but yeah. But that, by yeah. the way, you know what that feeds into is something we talked about here before. Is that just makes me think it's even more likely China goes to war soon because typically when a country's in that kind of position, like the number one thing to do is go to war uh, because A, that's a huge distraction. B, it's like an employment generator and things like that um, tends to be good for GDP in a sense. Um, and in this case, if it's over Taiwan, um, there's a lot of like, in the, at least from the Chinese perspective, there's a lot of positives for them getting Taiwan because they get the semiconductor industry and the United States has to stop its war against China. Uh, it's economic. A war against China in the area of semiconductors. And so they get like a whole new economic engine uh, that they can then go and dominate for the next, you know, 30 years. So um, 
yeah, I don't know. That was my like my personal takeaway from that stat, by the way. Sorry, so I didn't mean yeah, to interject. Yeah, yeah. I, I I thought that's interesting, Ami, because a couple of people actually voiced exactly what you just said. Uh, when there are times of distress, when there's times where, uh, you know, people can't find jobs, and which puts a lot of pressure, financial pressures on their family and so forth. Uh, that's usually when a war starts. Uh, if you look at, you know, in past history, uh, you're exactly right. Uh, it kind of fuels the, the perfect conditions for some kind of major conflict. Although I would say the, the Taiwan-China conflict, um, sorry, I, I don't mean to say that. I mean the Taiwan conflict. A Taiwan conflict is very, is very uh, different. The way I say that, the reason why is because if there is a war on Taiwan, it's not a particular invasion from China's perspective, right? Because uh, because of the one China uh, because of the one China thing. So I I don't necessarily think you know China is going to go in there and start shooting uh, Taiwanese citizens. Uh, to make them surrender or something. Uh, it's to me, it's 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 unfathomable. It's not going to happen. Um, what may happen is in a uh, to me a very peaceful type of approach to to Taiwan. Now, everyone else around the world doesn't think so. All right, this is what China is trying to portray. But obviously, the U.S. Uh, Europe is. Thinking, you know, there could be an aggressive takeover of Taiwan via military power and so forth. But you got to understand, from China's perspective, it's like shooting your own people um, because, you know, obviously they don't see Taiwan as an ex- 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 outside force, and that to me is the difference via um, from past wars, in my opinion. So I. I, I don't think any kind of military in conflict will happen. In fact, I actually think this will become more of a politics game. And depending on if sanctions are going to be placed on China, um, whether it's related to Ukraine or whether it's related to Taiwan, that is the thing that could fuel more like tit for tat type of um, moves. Uh, from China to the international, you know, to to the U.S. or or to other other parties, so it becomes more of a political game more it's than anything else. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. to hear this perspective. This is definitely kind of like the China, um, more like a China uh, a China centric view. And it's interesting to hear because, uh, like here in the West, that we obviously don't hear China's views very much. Um, and and, and I, the other thing, and the other thing, yeah. Ami is. Um, is that people in the U.S. don't really care about, about Taiwan. what's going on in Taiwan. So that, to me, is another indication that nothing is going to happen. I mean, this is just my personal opinion. But people in the U.S., you as an ordinary citizen, they, they don't care. Actually, they, the, and, uh, you know, so in terms of awareness, in terms of congressional you know, support behind this of anti-China, you know, aggressive na- nature against Taiwan, all these policies, uh, it's it, it not going to get much uh, kind of a reaction from the general populace. So from that perspective, you know, I, I really think it it comes down only 
to rhetoric and politics to make each party look stronger than um, than what they portray. So, you know, that itself is also a risk because you don't necessarily know what kind of action the U.S. is going to place on on Taiwan and China uh, and vice versa. What how China reacts, um, you know, to 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 what the U.S. and the other international community may place. Um, so yeah. look, I, I I I I tend to be more of the view that everybody wins when they cooperate, and to go into conflict, mostly everybody loses, and that's what we're finding out right now. With, with with the Ukraine conflict, so I I I generally think you know China is in no position to go into war. Uh, um, they have so many issues to solve at home. Um, to put on war, yes, it could be a distraction, but I mean they're in no. There are just a lot more other social problems right now to be resolved. Same thing in the U.S. Same thing in the U.S. So, you know, when you when you're in a kind of a global instability, global uncertainty environment and picture, everybody has their own issues and own problems to to resolve. To make this an international event or international conflict will be a disaster for everybody. So, I don't think this is going to happen. Um, so- but you know, yeah. people are warning, right? Pointing fingers, warning, writing rhetoric, hard rhetoric. Uh, but in terms of, and I like to tell people like this, like it's a chessboard. Um, U.S. made one move with Pelosi going to Taiwan. And before that event, there was no movement on the chessboard. So U.S. made the first move with Pelosi going to Taiwan. Now, well, I, why I, can't, I, why can't, why does that have anything to do with China? We have Taiwan, which is an independent country, and the U.S., is the, which is an independent country, and they have normalized relations. Why can't a senator from the United States, uh, Speaker of the House, visit Taiwan? What, what does that have to do with China? Uh, why, should, why should they be able to stop United States senators from going wherever the hell they want to go to some other place that isn't China? It's not China. It's not a Chinese protectorate. It's not a Chinese province. Um, I don't actually think there was that was the first move on the board, Felix. Actually, let me talk for a second here. Um, first of all, I would actually be curious to see a survey, like a Neil Howe type of survey, on the U.S. whether people actually care about Taiwan or not. I'm not sure, as I because I, I think enough people know Taiwan's importance in the supply chain, um, and I. I don't think enough people know how amazing the Taiwanese people are. Um, it just like it's like a, it, it's like another state. I mean, it's like if you go there and you spend time there and you meet people there, it's like it's like visiting another. I don't want to say another state of the United States because obviously they have their own, their own culture and their own religion and their own language and everything else is different and terrain and what uh, you know their own place. But they they believe in democracy. They believe in freedom. Um, they believe in hard work and education. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a very great place with a lot of amazing people. Um, 
So I, I just, but I don't know if the, most people in the United States, I don't think know that. Um, so I think you're right. Maybe that there's maybe some some apathy here. It's not like it's like well, our, apathy you know, from the U.S. side. But look, I yeah. think the ta- Taiwanese, um, they 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 have very strong opinions, either pro-China or pro-independence um, among their citizens. And what's interesting is that if you take a poll of of them on this issue, very sensitive, politically sensitive issue. It's volatile, and it it depends on who's in power. At well, it time. was it was volatile before. Oh, and I don't know. I'm since, not. All no, I heard it is was, it's not been. No, no, it okay. was like they they literally. I think in 2005 or 2006, they literally almost elected a government that would have been very pro unification of China, but. Right. Um, but they didn't. And and that's in history now. And ever since what's happened in Hong Kong, um, where the Chinese government, what they've done with Hong Kong, um, that has been very bad advertising and marketing uh, to the Taiwanese because they look at that and they're like, hell no. So I actually got uh, multiple, I have two different friends who reached out to me from Taiwan. Who have, you know, over the years, many years, I've traveled to Taiwan many times and so on and so forth. And like, both reached out to me. And I asked, and they they said to me, "Do you think China is about to attack?" And I was like, "This was out of the blue for me." One reached out to me, one was in June, um, separately, and I I I wasn't even thinking about this issue. And I obviously was just I asked them, "Well, what do you think?" You know, you're there, um, right? And I asked them also, like, would, you know, would that do you want to be part of China? And they were both like, "No, the Chinese people will fight." Uh, fight that after seeing what, what happened in Hong Kong, what's happening in Hong Kong. So I think like, um, so I, I, and then the other thing I'm, I'm not so sure about is that uh, you mentioned, you know, China wouldn't kill its own. And I think, I, 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 like, I wish that was true. I just think like the evidence, um, even like the Hong Kong evidence or, or the Tiananmen Square evidence is not necessarily um, totally aligned with that. Um, that they would not kill their own. I think for for the greater good that they're trying to achieve, I think they would. Um, but but that's I mean that's that's more me looking at history. And, but it's it's obviously like you know maybe that's changed now. Maybe that's different. And, and I'm not I'm not like you know interested on that. Um, but that's interesting um, to hear your perspective also because I I I do understand that. We here, like we're inundated with more of like a Western only um, media, and so we don't actually hear what China's thinking about all these things, which is obviously very different. Um, so I understand what you're saying. Um, yeah, and, and I, I don't want to put this into like I, I all I hate is having a politics discussion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gotta be as like, apolitical as possible. Yeah, I'm in the one sector where. It's extremely hard to be apolitical these days right. um, with, you know, everything that's ongoing with China and U.S.-China relationships. But I still think, you know, at the end of the day, there's things better than to do than to try to figure out how politics is going to end up because politics generally surprise you in many different ways and, and things you just cannot control. That's um, true. And I hope uh, there is no like war, like because it's just yeah Ukraine. It's just like the worst. It's like a terrible thing, and this one would be it's just a terrible a thing. Everybody scale. is suffering. This one would be a massive scale. Yeah, um, yeah. There would be definitely. So, so I, I actually think maybe the Ukraine conflict was a lesson, hard lesson, and that don't go into conflict. 
So I I, so. I I continue to believe that. So this is why you know I I mean obviously uh, Taiwan mainland China is a very different kind of conflict um, than Ukraine Russia, but uh, also similar in some respects. But uh, in my opinion, very different generally speaking. So. Yeah, I, I hope nothing comes out of it. I know everybody has their own opinion on it. Everybody in Taiwan has their own opinion on it. And certainly in mainland China, they have their own opinion on it. And um, those who are following the U.S. have their own opinions on it. And uh, I, I just think at the end of the day, you know, it's it's really not worth going to conflict on uh, just I, I based on the right. current situation yes. globally. It's not like one country is in a better shape than the other uh, by a you know by a wide margin. No, everyone, Europe, I mean, U.S., uh, China, they, every everybody has all their you know their, their own issues at home to worry about. So, you know, I, I really hope there's no any kind of international conflict here. Obviously, I totally agree. Uh, for the sake of all peoples. Um, Hope that diplomacy and peace will all sustain. And that's a good, it's funny that we started talking, started off talking about our key takeaways from the Hedja Regional Conference in LA. And we ended up um, kind of, you know, picking through some of the possibilities, uh, terrible possibilities, of course, around uh, war in uh, China and in Taiwan. Um, and we hope that none of that will happen. But that's also the reason we, we flow with unscripted equity curiosity. Yeah, that's that's things the that, beauty. That's the beauty of, yeah, our of podcast this podcast. And uh, yeah. things that will move our markets are really what we end up focusing on. And we try to look for signal. And um, and so today, that's where we leave you. We'll wrap today, uh, episode 18 of season two of Unscripted Equity Curiosity. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at Hedgeye.com slash Terms of Service.